beautiful. Welcome to Sell Like a Woman, the podcast, the place to be to learn how to get anything you want, whether it's more money, more customers, or even to get your kiddo to go to bed on time or your spouse to help with the laundry. I'm your host, Kendrick Shope, and welcome to Sell Like a Woman, the podcast. Everybody, welcome to the Kendrick Shope Show, and it is another edition of Boss Lady Monday, and I have got a friend, a colleague, and just a powerhouse with us today, and I'm going to Southern up her name, and then she's going to correct me, even though I've known her for two years. Aristia, am I finally saying that right? Yes, you are. Aristia Rosenberg? Yep. Okay, great. I think for a whole year, I did not pronounce it correctly. And you were never, you never corrected me, but I, I never hear it. Oh, well, okay, good. So Aristia Rosenberg is here today. And let me tell you something, you're in for a treat. Aristia is a woman of all trades. She's got a background in film. She's got some, you know, Hollywood stories to tell. She is a ghost writer, which she can't tell us a lot about, but she can tell us a little bit about. And she also has this huge heart for uh, life-changing work. And so there, there are all these facets that make Aristia a woman to know and a woman to talk to. And so welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to finally be here. So I am so, so excited to have you here. I'll, I'll make a confession to, the, to, to anybody listening or watching. <laughs> Aristia has seen me at my absolute worst. I'm talking about like that scattered, too much on your plate. She calls and says, I think we had a meeting. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm on vacation in Hawaii. Yes, we did. But I forgot she and I can't believe she even still speaks to me. Like that's how many times I've dropped the ball. So that says something about the kind of person you are. Um, but let's talk, let's talk a little bit that has nothing to do with anything. I don't know why I told that story. But. No, no. I love working with you. I um, love it. So let's talk a little bit about you and how you got into this, this creative space. So your background's in film. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I went to film school at Boston University. So that's kind of So what is film of. school? Like when you say I went to film school, what did you learn to do in film school? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I have a, a BS in film and television production. Um, which means that my concentration was um, a production concentration. So I did all the, the, the technical classes, so to speak. So, you know, learning camera, learning editing, lighting, things like that. So all of those skills, um, also from a very basic level, like my production one class, we still like shot on film and like cut and spliced and like put it on like a old timey editing machine. I don't think oh. they do that so much anymore, but like you really learn, you know, everything that you need to know about, you know, exposure and f-stops and, and all the technical sides of things. And then in addition, you take um, film studies classes. So that's a lot of history of film study, a lot of um, prominent filmmakers, but also just things like, you know, I don't know, French New Wave Cinema and, and the history of film um, as well in those classes. So yeah, so that's, that's where it all began for me. So what, what, when you were, when you went to school, what, what did you want to do? Like you wanted to come out and do what with that? Yeah, I wanted to be a director. I, um, I had found a passion for it in high school, directing one act shows um, at my high school and um, had always been a writer, storyteller and um, had always loved film. And um, I actually remember when I was applying to colleges, I didn't think, I thought maybe I wouldn't even go into film school, but I realized that was just the fear talking. Mm -hmm. That, you know, like, oh, you know, how many people say they want to be a director and go to Hollywood and do all this stuff? 
And then it was like, I snapped out of it one day and I was like, well, why not me? There are all these people that are able to make a living doing this. Why not um, just go for it? So ended up doing that. And then I actually did, um, I did a semester in Los Angeles. They called it domestic study abroad. Domestic study abroad. Yeah. I was interning during the day and going to class at night. So it was like nonstop, um, very real life experience. And it was the best thing I ever did. Um, it, it gave me confidence and it really, I think, focused me on what I wanted to do. And at that point, I still was, had interest in directing, but I got really into development and the idea of being a studio executive because the director is the, the shepherd of the movie, but the studio executive is the shepherd of all the movies and oh. helping to find that director and the writer and putting things together. Um, and I really liked that process of picking the scripts and helping to make them better and finding the best teams. So um, then I thought I wanted to be a studio executive. So um, kind of was pursuing um, that as well. Interesting. And so I'm going to say it back to you. So studio executive may run across, may have a dozen scripts on his or her desk. And you're like, yeah. Great, we, we as a company want to do this. And then you go out and hire the whole team for yeah, that. Yeah. And it's right? like working with production companies wow. and just kind of put the deal together. So to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So why story? Storytelling is, you know, it's interesting to me because in the last six years I've seen sort of selling transition from pain points, features, benefits to you've got to tell a story and you have to be entertaining. Why is telling a story so powerful? You know, I think, I think story is the most powerful thing out there. You know, I used to feel guilty about, I, I would think, oh, I'm a smart person. Like I should be a doctor. Like I should really be helping people. And it took me a long time to kind of really own and come around to the fact that I can make probably a bigger difference in changing lives and uh, inspiring people through story than I could, you know, any other way. It makes such a big impact. I mean, especially when you think about um, like really powerful documentaries, you know, look at something like Blackfish and, and the effect that that's had on SeaWorld or even, even with narrative, look at, you know, Black Panther and all of the amazing things we're seeing come from that. So, you know, for me, I just think that story, I, I don't know what it is. I think it's, I think it, what it, if I had to figure it out and name it, I think it's just the most powerful force of stirring emotion in people and emotion makes people want to act. So I think, I think it's, it's a perfect storm of, of things that come together that really move us and move us to change. Yeah, I would agree. I think also for me, story and, and whether it's, you know, video or in a book or yeah. wherever, story gives me the ability to see outside of my narrow little world. You know, even sure. if my parents were great at exposing me to all different things. You, you, you don't know until you read somebody's actual story. You know, you can hear about it. You can learn about it in history class or whatever. But I just finished a great book called Before You Were Ours. And it's about all this. Oh, Have you read list. it? No, it's on my list. It's like fantastic. But yeah. I don't think I, I could have ever really, you know, I could have. I could have heard somebody talk about it. But reading the book just sort of transplants you into, into their world. So yeah, and I, I think narrative also helps us make sense of the world. You know, I, I think agree. narrative helps us connect the dots and it helps. And, and what you were saying, like touching on, it helps to help us understand someone and relate to them because it helps make sense of, um, of those emotions or, or of those, um, those reasons, right. For, for why. 
Yeah. It also does a really cool thing too, I think, Aristi. I wonder what you think about this, but it kind of allows you to question. It, it presents things maybe that are not considered culturally acceptable. Lots of stories do that push the envelope and it allows you to see, oh, actually, I don't think that's that bad. Or it, it sort of yeah. opens up your heart to things that maybe you've had pre-existing judgments about, I feel like, or it can. Yeah, especially with um, communities that are uh, misunderstood or yeah. Yeah. understood. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a favorite way to tell stories? Obviously you have the film background, but I also know that you, you are you are great with the written word. You, you've done some ghostwriting. Do you have a preference? Is it is it video? You know what? I'm going to surprise you here. It's neither. It's um, actually spoken live storytelling. Really? Uh, Yeah. I often say like, I'm a pretty good writer, a fantastic filmmaker, but a damn good live storyteller. Um, So I like to do things like um, the moth. um, Yeah. Showcases and and other. I produced a story slam while I was traveling all over the world um, to bring other storytellers up because I do think it does something to like be in a room with people and have someone get up and speak their truth. And it can be, you know, uh, so sad or so funny or I don't know. I, I I think that that's a really powerful thing too. And I just love to. I don't know. I, it's like it's almost meditative to me. Like I get up and I tell a story and I get off stage and I have no idea what I said. Like I, it just kind of is something that flows in me. That's um, awesome. Yeah, but I do, I do really love film. Like I said, for the reason that it has such a power um, yeah. uh, to make a difference, and I think that, that that shouldn't be underestimated. And the written word, of course, is so you know uh, timeless. Um, it is. Yeah, for me, it is just um, great story, and and great story might just take on different forms, and that's just kind of the medium it it can take, and one might be better for the than the other depending on the story. So without making it super formulaic, because I realize that every great story has its own, uh, you know, authentic path and journey, but are there, uh, you know, it, it, from, a, from a studio executive's point of view, sure. are there components that you look for other than just entertaining for a great story? Yeah, I would say there's two different things at play here. So the first is, the, you know, the three acts, right? And that structure and, um, that structure is, is I, I hesitate to say formulaic, but tends to follow a pattern of a hero and a hero presented with an obstacle and then the quest, right, in act two. So that was act one. And then the quest is act two and the journey that they take um, depending on that goal. And then act three is always, you know, the resolution. Yeah. And that's, that's a pretty um, typical story structure. But I, the difference, I think, for me, and I'd say probably most storytellers, would say the same is, is the emotion, right? Like I was just explaining. So it's got to have relatability or humor or wow factor or heart or all of the above. So there's, I think, different emotional components that helps um, story to resonate. Um, and like what you say with sales, you know, the surprise and delight, right? So it's not, it's not so different there that you're, that you're trying to serve a, a customer's needs, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. What about people? So I'm kind of all over the place, but I know you're not surprised by that. (laughs) What about about people who are trying to um, get their own story out, Um, which you and I, for those of you who don't know, Aristia has been trying to help me, not trying, been helping me get my story out for for two years and and we're getting there. But I'm, I'm curious about, you know, for somebody who has no clue where to start, right? What and 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 you know there are a gazillion books and a gazillion classes on how to write your story, how to write a book. But 
what, where do they start? I mean, what, is there a place that you would recommend? Different. It's the same place you and I start, which is what I call word vomit, right? Was just, yep. just getting, getting everything down on a page. Um, cause once you do that and, and it doesn't have to be all at once, you don't have to sit down for, you know, a whole day, but maybe it's 10 minutes every morning and doing some free, free flowing journaling. And, and I think just starting to put those, put those words down. And then what you can start to do is once you've done that is do, do what I just said, connect the dots to create the narrative. So that's a different um, answer than like, okay, but then what do you do tactically or um, absolutely? Yeah. But I mean, just understanding that first and, and with all my clients, you know, when we talk about now it's uh, now we talk about it like brand, but really brand is just a, a marketing way of, say, of saying your story um, and understanding and having audiences understand you and what you're about. So really you have to kind of fine tune that first. And I think getting it down will help you start to then connect the dots. And so, you know, in a world where lots of stories have been told (laughs) and, and, you know, stories can't, of course they're unique because, you know, the way I experienced starting a business is not the way somebody else experienced starting a business. But I mean, some of the challenges are likely to be the same and some of the successes are likely to, to be similar. How do you go about making your story be the one that everybody wants to read? What's the component there? It's got to be passion. I mean, when you're, when you're trying to do something, people see right through that. Yep. You know, when you're, when you're saying you're doing something just because you think, oh, it'll, it'll resonate with a massive audience. No, what resonates with a massive audience is your passion and you, people are drawn to the authenticity and people can sniff out, um, in, in authenticity. So when you are being uniquely 100% truly you, like you said, no one has your experiences. Yes, you might have learned similar lessons. Yes, you might um, be at the same level as them, so to speak. But nobody knows your story and nobody has your experiences. And when you are out there being you, speaking your truth, standing in your own and in your space, that's when people, I think, get really excited. So when you're ghostwriting for somebody and you start with this word vomit, which in sales, we call that verbal vomit, same thing. (laughs) And, and then you start putting the pieces together. Can you tell, like, can you be like, Oh, we're onto something really great here or. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Yeah, Shonda Rhimes calls it the hum. And that's that's kind of what I I call it as well. It's this innate gut feeling that I know we're onto something real and great and wonderful. Yeah. Um, And again, like sometimes I can't explain it. Like with storytelling, I get off stage and I don't know what I said when I'm working with someone and, and understanding them. I, I can't explain it. It's just something in me shifts. Um, yeah. And my, my um, experience in having, I guess you can call it taste um, and having good taste and recognizing when something's good, it kind of just takes over and, and lights up. Yeah. I will say that's been a great lesson for me as you know, for so long, there was so much passion about, will we be successful? Will the business be successful? Will the business be successful? And then it reaches a point where you're like, great. We're going to be okay. You know, yeah. like we, it's, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, but then I feel like in some of the mundane tasks, maybe a little bit of the passion got lost and a little bit of checking the boxes and, you know, we go full speed. We're going to do this. 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 And I'm like, okay, great. Let's do it. But then I'm like, God, I don't, the emotion just sort of yeah. got sucked out in all the check, not just in everything and all the checking of the boxes. So that I, 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 I understand that. That makes sense. Yeah. Total- and like I said, there is a difference between, you know, 
your brand and who you are and then the strategy surrounding it. And I think yep. that's probably what you're speaking to is some of those boxes of like, well, I have to be posting or I need to be doing this. And, you know, and, and there is, um, there is strategy that, that is important to that as well in terms of sharing and, and having people find you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to Hollywood for a minute. So okay. I'm kind of jumping book movies. We're going to go into documentaries in a minute, but let's talk, let's talk Hollywood. Yeah. So Right now, you are in LA. You travel the world, which has nothing to do with Hollywood. I did. Yeah. Everywhere. Well, I, I just finished traveling full time for two years. I, I sold all my stuff and hit the road. And now I have, I've, I have a new place for a whole month now. So it's nice. That's awesome. What's that like? Tra- selling all your stuff and traveling the world? Is that uh, scary? terrifying and something that I felt like I had to do? Um, and it was the best thing I could have done in my time and it was wonderful and amazing and, and I'm so glad I did it and I'm also ready to have a home base again. What did you learn? What's the best thing you learned traveling the world? I think I took away two big lessons and the first was that, um, and I think a big one for me was looking back on my life and my career because it was a big shift in, in who I, who I was, or I guess the, the Aristi I was leading with changed and I realized that all I had ever done throughout my career was follow my interests and work hard. And as long as I kept doing that, I was going to be fine. And that was big for me because I had obsessed over every career change I made and every sort of um, move I made. I I obsessed and made myself sick, even, even deciding to travel. And I realized like, I don't have to do that because as long as I do those two things, I'm going to be fine. So that was, that was a really big shift and a big lesson for me. And the other big lesson was that nothing's permanent, right? So, if I do make a move and I do mess up or fall flat on my face or decide I hate it, nothing's permanent. I can always change, go back, whatever. That's such a great lesson. Yeah. Nothing's permanent. I, I try to tell Hallianna that a lot, yeah. but, and, and I, and I mean, it's, it's too big of a concept for her to wrap her, her nine-year-old mind around, but you know, it, whatever it is, we, yeah. we, we live, we make decisions, we move forward and no matter what kind of pain you're in or how bad it sucks, we'll make changes. Yeah. So. Even now, even now, you know, I have this apartment. Everyone's like, oh, okay. So is LA like, are you, are you in LA to stay? And I'm like, I, I don't know, you know, where <laughs> I am right now. And that's, yeah. Enough. And that's enough. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So before you moved, before you, you picked up and went on this, this two year yeah. world tour, yeah. if you will, tell me about the projects you were working on before that. Yeah. So I, um, when I graduated, I started working at Columbia Pictures in development as an assistant. And then I actually went over to be an assistant at Happy Madison, um, which was, um, is Adam Sandler's production company. Yep. And um, I worked there for a number of years and I, I got promoted out of assistant land there um, with the team that did all the behind the scenes and DVD and adamsandler.com content. And that, that it was really fun. And I really enjoyed that because we were kind of crafting some stories around um, you know, promoting the movie or, you know, we'd have to interview everyone on set and, and helping to come up with questions. I really, and I actually really like that. It was like telling the story of the, of the making of the film. Um, and it got me a lot of good hands-on production experience. And uh, in between movies of doing that, I started working for a production company that did a lot of shows for Discovery Networks. And I worked on a bunch of Animal Planet shows as a producer. And that was really fun as well. And during this period, I was also writing on the side. Um, and I, had gotten hooked up with some startups that um, this was in Boston that needed help storytelling, like telling the story of their brand. And again, I had, I kind of had this innate ability before I really knew what I was doing of, of helping these companies tell their stories and was working with them. And through that made a lot of connections 
in the Boston startup community. And a guy I knew from that had just joined an ad agency and said, hey, you know, we need a filmmaker on my team. We have a new team at this ad agency. And I was like, ooh, commercials. Like, I don't know anything about that. I'm not interested in that. No, thank you. And he's like, no, 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 we need a filmmaker. Like, just, just come talk. And that agency had started this new department called the content department. And this was before anyone talked about content. This was not a thing. Right. Back then. And basically I walked out of that meeting being like, wait, you guys got budgets? <laughs> <laughs> Like, and I have to just like put a brand's logo at the end, like sign me up. So I took that leap, um, back to full time and, um, and you know, it was a, that was a difficult decision because I felt like I was leading production in terms of like, like Hollywood and, and all of that. But I told myself, okay, I'll, I'll do it for a year. If I hate it, Hollywood will still be there. It'll be fine. And I actually really loved it. And that's where I learned strategy, um, in a more formal sense, um, content strategy and made some really amazing films while I was there that I'm really proud of that were in a bunch of great film festivals and won a bunch of ad awards. And it was, it was really satisfying, mostly because I, I was learning something new and the work was good. And also because I had a great team. I was really learning from people that I really considered A players. Um, and then when it came time, when I was feeling ready to leave that, because I didn't want to be like an ad executive or a creative director in an ad agency. And I was feeling like, um, I was stalling there. Um, an old boss had just gone to the Daily Beast in New York, which is a media company. And he said, hey, I need a creative director of brand strategy. Um, I said, I don't know how to do that. He said, you'll be fine. I said, okay. So <laughs> I, went to, I went to move to New York and I did that um, until I left to go traveling and went, went back to freelance and started doing content strategy and writing and filmmaking um, uh, as a freelancer. Do you think now that you'll go, you'll continue freelancing? Will you, I know you're working on your own documentary projects as well. Do you think you want to go back into a studio? I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure. I'm trying to be very open to yeah. whatever's supposed to be next for me. Right now, I'm, I'm satisfied with my work. And also, like you said, I'm doing this documentary, which I really want to finish, which, you know, we can talk about later. But that is a big focus for me right now. And also, just like I said, getting a, an apartment and deciding to live somewhere. So I think, you know, all, all things with time and right now Absolutely. I'm just kind of settling back into a regular life. Um, yeah. and I'm open if, if a full-time opportunity comes my way that, like I said, is, is interesting, you know, I, yeah. I'm going to follow my nose on this one. So, yeah. So yeah. let's talk about the documentary. So in the, in the two years that you traveled, you went <laughs> everywhere, but yeah, all over, <laughs> you had this really cool experience in Cambodia. Yes. Um, and, and, and so tell us about it. It's, it's amazing. Like when you hear the words Cambodia and hip hop and documentary and like, I'm like, wait, what did I yeah. read all this correctly? So tell us about it. It's pretty cool. So I, um, yeah, while I was traveling, I had told myself before I started traveling, if you find a great story, you know, you've got to make, you've got to, you've got to tell that. And, um, it was month 11 of my travels when I ended up in Cambodia and I went to this event and these kids, um, these like little kids performed there and they were doing like hip hop and break dancing and they were really good and like so inspiring. And it was, I had heard whispers, it was called tiny tunes and it was for at-risk youth. And I thought, wow, how cool. And so some friends and I went to the school to kind of learn more and also like take, take a dance class as a way to support the school, like to pay them to, you know, teach us um, because we wanted to support the organization. And we got kind of, this is, this is, this is kind of kismet. Um, 
I really believe like I was meant to make this film because the power was out that day. So we had to like wait until the power, which happens sometimes in Cambodia um, when it's really hot. And so we had to wait for the power to come back on for, for the music, for the dance class. And I was talking to the head of the school and he told me the story of how the school was founded, which was that the founder had um, was born in a Thai refugee camp during the Khmer Rouge and had immigrated legally to America with a green card with his family and grew up in Long Beach in the projects and had gotten involved in gang violence and ended up going to jail when he was 19. And because of that, he got deported, which, you know, he didn't know that um, he needed to become a citizen. He, you know, he had told his mom, he called his mother up from jail and said, they're going to deport me. And she said, no, you're a war baby. You have a green card. And he said, no, they said, I'm not a citizen. And she tried to rush and get her citizenship, but it was to no avail. So they deported him to Cambodia. I mean, and he had never even been there. He, I mean, his Kumai was not very good. And, um, you know, it was a pretty challenging time for him. And um, he ended up meeting some guys and got involved working for an NGO that helped um, people on drugs. There's actually a very big um, drug problem in Cambodia. And um, one of the guys there had told all the kids that he had, he had used to be a hip hop dancer and they were bugging him like, teach us, teach us. And he's like, no, I just like got out of jail and got to a new country. Like, I can't, I can't teach you, but they would show up at his house. And so he was like, okay, I'll start teaching you. But they, they would literally come like every day. And he was like, don't you have to go to school? Like, what are you doing here every day? And um, they'd say, no, we don't go to school. And he learned that even though Cambodia says school is free, you have to pay for all your books and all your supplies. And also you have to, there's this weird policy where you have to tip the teacher um, every day. And it's about 25 cents a day. But if you're a family making 60 bucks a month. Absolutely. I mean, you can't, you can't even afford that. So he started to teach these kids and also another guy that he had um, met that had a similar situation that had been deported back to Cambodia. He had, he had actually gone to jail when he was 16. Um, he started coming over and teaching them English and they, they, it took them five years, but they eventually like got a school. It's called tiny tunes and like have a building and they have a hundred kids that come every day and in Cambodia schools half day. So half the day they come to this, to tiny tunes and they have hip hop break dancing classes, but also classes in English, Kumai math. Um, they give them extra help. And then the other half of the day they go to public school and tiny tunes pays, pays those fees so that they're able to go to public school. And it's just an incredible um, story. And I was sitting there and it, I mean, it struck me and um, I thought about it for months and months and months and I kind of couldn't ignore, ignore the thing in me that said I had to make it. And, um, and yeah, so I, I actually, again, like all these things lined up. I had met a guy that was an expat living there that was a, a, a photographer and filmmaker and I got in touch with him and he said, oh, you can use my equipment and I'll help you hire a local crew. It was important to me to hire a local crew to be responsible with my yep. to help, help the locals. And he said, I'll help you find a local crew. And I had met a woman that month that also had been an experienced fixer. So she became my fixer and translator. And um, I got some really good advice from a friend who's a, a, a very um, well, well established and well-known uh, short documentary filmmaker. And he said, you know, the thing with short documentaries is there's no glory in it. And you just have to figure out if you can do it and like keep chipping away at it until you realize you're in the middle of doing it. And that's kind of what I did with all these pieces. Like, okay, well, if I ask this person and can this person help me? And a friend said, hey, if you can get me, get me to Cambodia, I'll be your producer. And I have another friend that said they would edit and another friend that said they would do music. And I, um, I fundraised uh, in the fall on Indiegogo and we were able to raise um, enough money. We didn't meet, we didn't quite meet the goal, but I always said I would put in enough for me to put my own money into it. And 
it was also important to me that 10% of every dollar we raised go directly to Tiny Toons. So I was able to keep that promise and donate that money. And yeah, I, it's just a beautiful story. And I, I think one that deserves to be told and also could help the school and make a direct impact. Um, you know, for them, they are always in jeopardy of closing. I think when I was there, they said they had enough money for three more months. Um, wow. So they're constantly like looking for, yeah, because they, they really survive based on donations. So you know, whatever I can do to help. And for me, it was just, you know, wanting to help them, but also just wanting, wanting to tell the story. I don't know, something, something in me said I had to do it. So, yeah. So when you do a passion project like that, like a documentary that, and, and I, I mean, I, from what it sounds like, it is totally a labor of love and a, and a huge passion project. <laughs> yeah. What is, and, and this is a, a question from ignorance. So I don't know no, what no, is the okay. goal, like when the documentary is completed, what obviously it will raise some awareness for, for, for tiny tunes, but I mean, what is the ultimate goal for the documentary to do, to go, to be, how do you get the most eyeballs on it? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. So when it's done, it'll, um, we'll put it on the film festival circuit, so to speak. So okay. Submit it to film festivals, you know, hopefully sell it you know, and if I can give, if I can give that money, you know, back to the school, great. But, but like you said, also just get, like you said, get as many eyeballs as I can on it, you know, have a media company buy it eventually um, so that it can raise that awareness for the school and hopefully inspire people to donate. Um, and also selfishly or personally, I shouldn't say selfishly, but personally, you know, for me also to help me um, hopefully get more directed, yeah. more, you know, they always say, you know, good projects are there to just lead to, to better and more projects, right? So if I can um, get some work to be able to make more films and 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 tell more stories, great. Because Kendrick, I don't want to Indiegogo fundraise again. It was like a <laughs> <laughs> so if I can get more people to give me money to make things, that would be nice. I got it. I got it. I understand completely. Well, I, I don't understand completely because I've never done it, but yes, that, that you, makes sense. You know complete. what it's like though to have to like really hustle on something and yes. have it take over your life. <laughs> yes, I do. And I don't I don't ever want to do that again either. So I'm right there with you. I hope I'm done with that. I hope I don't. Uh, hopefully the work pays off is what I'm trying to say to help yeah, me I have, better, better and more work. I have no doubt that it will. No doubt that it will. So where should, so what does the timeline look for that? So you have to finish, um, you know, with all of the, all of the things editing and then, and yeah. then you put it on the circuit. So like, how would we, and when would we be able to view the finished project? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, cause it's important that, especially the first film festival that you do, it's, it's this kind of really important where you launch is it important because a lot okay. of film festivals want like the premiere, the premiere. Um, so it's, it's kind of strategizing around that and like where you premiere and then, you know, being in other film festivals. And then, like I said, I mean, we'll see, you know, if, if a media company buys it, um, you know, you can like now watch short flicks, short documentaries on Netflix, yeah, yeah. things like that. So if we can get to buy it, to show it online, that would be great. Um, and so that's, that's my goal. That's um, your goal. You know, okay. Not, that makes sense. Release it, but yeah. So and tiny tunes, like if people want to donate to tiny tunes, do they just go to tiny tunes, like they Google tiny tunes? Yeah, they can go um, to the website, which I think is tinytunes.org, but it's spelled T-O-O-N-E-S. Okay, um, we'll put it in the yeah. comments. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so it's T-I-N-Y-T-O-O-N-E-S. And they um, also have a Facebook page, and it's .org, and they also have a Facebook page. So yeah, okay. they've got right. some really cool videos on there already, and um, always on their Facebook page, they're always posting really awesome stuff. 
You know what's so great about just, I mean, there's so many things that are so great about that story. And, and, but I think that, um, you know, I can almost hear the, the, the echo of my, my raising in my, my voice. Like, you know, if, if I was out, I would not have been, but if had I been out learning to break dance, I mean, I can hear people saying, you know, what are you going to do with that? You're wasting your time. You should be hitting the books. You should be volunteering, whatever I should have been doing. And look at how this one, you know, this one thing that, that probably was dismissed by a lot of people ends up changing the world. I mean, people's lives in the world. And I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's kind of, it was pretty overwhelming to see the difference that dance made in kids' lives. And um, I mean, there's a, a, a ton of, I mean, kids that were runaways sleeping on the streets on drugs that, you know, were able to come back home to their families and have confidence. Also just from a mentor, someone that, that cared about them. You yeah. Know, these, these found, this founder and these teachers, you know, did that these kids maybe didn't have, you know, some of them are orphans. Um, so having someone say that I believe in you and I care about you and I, and I want to spend time with you and attention on you. Um, you know, I mean, these guys would be the first to say that the school, that the dance is a tool, you know, I mean, if if some of these kids become professional dancers and are able to make a living like great, and they're all for that, but it's also just a tool for confidence and um, getting, getting kids, you know, straight. Yeah. It's, it gives me chills. It's, it's beautiful. And then to hear how touched and moved you were by it. I mean, I'm sure that just speaks to the power that it is just to see it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you'll travel the world again? I think travel will always be a part of my life, you know, full time. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I I loved it. Um, like I said, right now I'm craving stability and going there, but (laughs) I understand. I understand. Yeah. I think, I mean, travel's always, always been a part of my life. I, I think I live in a pretty a pretty big woman. We all do, but like, I think I, I personally like living in a really big world um, yeah. access to, and there's still some, everyone's like, Oh my God, you've been like, I've been to 45 countries and everyone's like, well, you've probably been everywhere. And I'm like, no, they're like, I still have a massive list of places that I want to go. So it's funny. I got this, this question on Facebook, um, one time where you can just ask, answer questions. And it said, list the countries you've been to. And I did the flags and my husband called me and he was like, you've been to 13 countries. And I was like, yeah, he's like, wow. I was like, I know. And to think that I haven't even dipped my toe in the ocean, like 45. That's amazing. Yeah. And I still haven't ever been to Africa. You know, I mean, that's big for me is tackle that. And yeah. And there's still like, there's just, I mean, there's just so many places still that I want to go. Yeah. We're going to do Africa. Um, soon. My parents have been a couple of times. I think we were talking actually when my parents were in Africa, but my dad really wants to take my daughter. So we're going to try to do that in the next couple of years. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. There's this place called Giraffe Manor. Have you heard of it? My friends did it. Their photos are incredible. Okay. Was it one of their most favorite things they did? Okay. So my dad keeps saying he wants to take Aliana and the pictures sell me alone. Like I didn't have to read it. It's For awesome. those of y'all who don't know, you need to Google Giraffe Manor. I mean, yeah. the giraffes like eat breakfast with you. It's the yeah, sweetest. Yeah, they stick their heads in your window. Yeah, it's beautiful. So yeah. anyway, that's on, that's on my bucket list to do. Uh-huh. And I think we're going to try to do that, but I digress. Okay, well, I'm going to let you go. I know you have plenty of stuff to do, but thank you so much for being here. We'll oh, link to your website and Tiny Tunes in the comments as well. And um, 
Yeah, I will. T- I will. I will be the first to tell you. Aricia is helping me put my story out into the world, and she has been such a trooper because she got lost in that whole creative vortex of yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to check the boxes. So I'm really trying to go back and put some uh, tap back into me and who I am and what Great. I can bring that I really want to tell. So she's brilliant. Right. If you're looking for a ghostwriter, I highly recommend her. And also just check out the amazing work that she does. We'll be looking for you on the on on Netflix. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the beautiful work that you put out into the world. Thank you. Appreciate you so much. Y'all have a beautiful day. I believe in you and I believe in your business and I believe in your ability to create the life you want. But wanting is not the same as doing. So get out there and do it.